Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Uh, Jason, welcome back. Thank you for joining us to kick off another week. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. Uh, looking forward to catching up with you this morning. Thank you, Daniel. It's good to be here. So, Jason, getting in the minds of investors a bit, inflation concerns have been top of mind for many months now. I know we've spoken about inflation here on the podcast for quite some time, yet in recent time, concern has shifted towards slowing growth, and that was furthered by last Thursday's U.S. Q2 GDP print, which put the U.S. economy into a technical recession. So, Jason, how might these factors unfold from here? Well, it's interesting that you know, three months ago, the market was very much focused on inflation. And then around the beginning of May, the, it sort of pivoted to be more concerned with kind of growth concerns. And as you look at the market pricing for inflation expectations and you know, the path for inflation you know, over the next two or three years, the market has certainly become more comfortable that inflation will ultimately fall, even though the most recent monthly inflation print we have for June, CPI at 9.1% was at a cycle high. So there's clearly a belief that, you know, we've kind of had to reach, reached at the peak level and things will kind of moderate from here. On the inflation front specifically, there is, you know, reasons to think that inflation will moderate as we move the rest of this year and into next year. You know, we're seeing the price of goods on core goods inflation coming down from very elevated levels early in this year. As we see, you know, the economy slow, as inventories build, that's likely to kind of continue in that trajectory. Uh, your gas prices are down from their high in June, and based on sort of futures prices, it would suggest that they're going to come down during the, the rest of this year to a point where the, you know, the price of a gallon of gas on a national basis could be a low, you know, four dollars to down three, three and a half dollars, uh, which would be welcome, but also definitely kind of disinflationary relative to recent peaks. And then also, even on the housing market and shelter, which has gone up a lot, we're seeing a, you know significant cooling in the housing market, price appreciation is slowing. These all things are that will filter into inflation with a lag, 6, 9, 12 months. So as we look into next year, the cooling of the housing market and the rental market should lead to uh, you know, a moderated inflation. The thing, though, is, is, is wage growth really isn't moderating. And the data we got on Friday for the Employment Cost Index came in at it was 1.3% quarter over quarter and 5.1% year over year. And that 5.1% was in the new all-time high. It suggests that there's no real cooling yet in the labor market. Wage growth is still quite high. And as long as that's the case, it's going to be hard for inflation to fall too far. So things like goods inflation can kind of bring it down to some level. But if wage growth stays above 5%, it's going to be hard for the CPI to fall much below 4%. So it's a, you know the outlook there is improving, but we're not um, uh, you know, certainly a long ways from sort of being in the all clear on the inflation front. If we then pivot to the growth dynamic, you know, a lot of debate about, you know, what is a recession after the U.S. economy experienced two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. This is defined by some as a technical recession. But if you look at the actual underlying activity in the economy that is used by the National Bureau of Economic Research, which has official responsibility for dating recessions, and they do it often, you know, kind of well after the fact. But the key data points they look at, such as, you know, real consumption growth, real income growth, you know, total employment, industrial production, these measures actually grew in the first half of this year. So if you aggregate that, the data they look at, they wouldn't conclude that in the first half of this year a recession started. It doesn't mean that one couldn't start soon, you know, but it's unlikely in, in hindsight when we look back to say when did it begin, that it began in the first half of this year. So I think that just sort of some, needs some kind of context that, um, you know, 
you know, a real sort of contraction of economic activity hasn't taken place. Some of the GDP numbers are, are being impacted by huge swings in inventories, uh, swings from quarter to quarter in imports and net exports, um, as opposed to underlying kind of real consumption, real production, which has been still positive in the first half of this year. That said, as we kind of look forward and, and we updated this last week in our house update, the different scenarios we've laid out for the economy for the next six months and even to next year, we shifted probability from kind of a stagflation outcome towards a slump or recession scenario. So now we have equal probability, 40% chance for both a slump uh, or recession and a sort of soft landing. And the soft landing, I think, again, it's, it's consistent with you know, the technical recession we had in the first half of this year, but you know, avoiding a real contraction of economic activity. It's clear that some of the data is showing signs of slowing. We're seeing the consumer being impacted by high inflation. We're seeing manufacturing activity slow. And as the economy shifts from goods consumption to services consumption, and we saw that very clearly in the data last week where the services was positive, goods was negative consumption growth, that you're going to see the manufacturing activity probably, you know, if not going to recession, become very close to it, even if the overall economy continues to expand. So we kind of big picture where we come out is that Inflation trends look a little bit better. The market's certainly become more complacent, but we're far from being out of the woods, especially if the labor market and wage growth remains elevated. At the same time, the economy is slowing. Growth concerns are evident, but we're not yet really seeing a real deterioration or negative kind of development of economic activity. But over the next six to 12 months, you know, it's kind of a toss up between whether we can avoid an official recession uh, and have a soft landing or if we actually experience that recession. Now, outside of the GDP print, the other big macro story last week was the Fed having hiked rates another 75 basis points. The Fed, of course, has been very influential to market activity here in 2022. Yet the market's interpretation of Fed Chair Jay Powell's press conference was that he was on the dovish side, and some even think that the Fed might pivot from the hawkishness that has occurred thus far here in 2022. So, Jay so what's CIO's interpretation of this all? Well, it's interesting in terms of how the market and a lot of investors kind of came to that conclusion of the Fed sort of being dovish. Uh, I mean, there's, there's kind of code words that people look at, certain statements, uh, you know, things such as when Powell said, you know, unusually large rate hikes, you know, are not the norm. So if I'm applying at 75 basis points, which has been the case, you know, for the past two meetings, that those are unusual, therefore don't expect it um, uh, in September or beyond. At least that's sort of the implied, you know, you know connotation. Uh, the fact that he acknowledged there was slowing growth, um, you know, in addition to, you know, saying, you know, we, obviously inflation is uncomfortably high. So the Fed does have a dual mandate, price stability and full employment. So thus far, they've been able to focus entirely on, you know, the price stability and the high inflation piece because the labor market has been so strong and the economy has been growing. So the acknowledgement that growth is slowing is being viewed by some as to say, you know, we now have to kind of consider that part of our mandate as we move forward, especially now that the policy rate is at a, at a level that they would sort of deem to be roughly neutral. So anything beyond this is tightening policy to restrictive territory to further slow growth. Um, another comment that Paul made is that, you know, monetary policy acts for the leg. So the tightening that's taken place thus far, it hasn't fully shown up yet in economic activity. And that's a, that's a you know, factually, I think, true statement. But you know, some would interpret that as saying, like, well, let's kind of slow down because we want to see the consequences of, of you know, the monetary policy and the rate hikes thus far. So you can sort of look at all these things and say the Fed was was dovish and, some, and the market has, has kind of reacted in that way because by the close of Wednesday's trading, you saw the markets are pricing out some rate hikes you know, by the end of this year, at least about 10 basis points of hikes. Inflation expectations went up. So thinking that, you know, all sequel, the Fed's going to allow inflation to run a little bit hotter in order to preserve kind of, the, you know, the growth and the, the cycle continuing. 
But, you know, Powell also made comments of how they're still relying on the June you know, economic projections as their appropriate guidance, which implied a Fed funds rate of 3.4% by year end and 3.8%, you know, by the end of next year. The gap between this, you know, for this year between the market and the Fed is pretty small, but next year the market is, has the Fed cutting. So it's almost a full percentage point or more than a full percentage point difference between the June projections from the Fed versus market pricing. Um, if that, the Fed still thinks that's appropriate, the market has clearly gotten kind of ahead of itself in terms of what the Fed is likely to do. There's still a lot of work to bring inflation down. I alluded to you know the wage growth you know data before. If we continue to get a couple more months of wage growth that's still elevated in a labor market that's very strong, it's going to give the Fed some comfort to keep hiking rates because it's holding up. But it also means that in order to really bring inflation down, they have to actually get more aggressive. Um, so I think you know so my interpretation is that relative to the path the Fed likely would have to take. Uh, even before the meeting from last week, hasn't really changed. It still very much depends on how the inflation data plays out, and that's still you know very much uncertain. Uh, so while you can sort of debate whether the Fed was dovish or not, we've seen situations just in the spring where you know the Fed seemed a little bit dovish at the early May FOMC meeting when Powell kind of ruled out 75 basis point rate hikes, and then two days before the June meeting, there was a report in the Wall Street Journal that the Fed was considering it. It was clearly sort of you know, guidance the Fed was providing to the reporter to indicate to the market this is what we're going to do. So they pivoted very quickly. So if we've learned nothing this year, it has to be, you know, one thing has to be that, you know, the Fed's hawkishness can change according to market conditions. And therefore, you know, we shouldn't take what happened from last week in stone. We can get economic data over the next six weeks that would force the Fed to be more aggressive than the market is currently expecting. Jason, on a near-term basis, it would appear that there is a considerable degree of uncertainty. Though the House view cites that the market volatility here in 2022 has created opportunity for longer-term investors. So, Jason, can you take a few moments to expand on what the Chief Investment Office is seeing in the way of opportunity? Well, one of the you know, silver linings of a of market selling off significantly in the first half of this year is that it made valuations across all asset classes, you know, you know more interesting because that brought them down from very elevated levels back towards levels that are consistent with sort of long term, you know, you know, you know, P multiples, yields, things of that sort. Uh, so that's kind of the you know the trade off for S and P being down twenty percent and bond yields selling off so much that bonds, even state bonds, were down ten percent in the first half of this year. So if we just look at you know equities in particular starting with the S&P 500, um, it has derated 26% over the past 12 months. You know, almost all that has occurred this year. The forward multiple and on January 1 was around 21, and now it's you know fell to lows around 16.5. It's rallied back a little bit over the past month. But if you take a you know that kind of multiple, historically it's been consistent with returns of 79% over the next decade. A multiple of you know 21, where we were for you know for the forward multiple, would suggest returns for the next decade would be closer to around like five or six percent so you know you've lost some now but you've kind of gained it back if you're going to take a forward-looking perspective the same is true globally uh where valuations have come down not quite as much as in the u.s where where valuations especially for growth stocks were more elevated but over the past 30 years at a current multiple of 15 and a half from a trailing perspective that's consistent with you know six to eight percent returns for kind of a global kind of pool of equities Going to bonds, we're seeing yields on treasuries, you know, that we haven't seen in a number of years. You know, credit spreads have widened out to so yields even for, you know, for high yield, safer high yield is around four and a half percent, which again, we haven't seen in a while. Uh, so bonds have become, in the fixing of generally become more interesting. And then if we turn to the alternative space, one of the things that we know sort of from history is that when you get, you know, PE funds that are created following sort of public market sell-offs, they've tended to deliver better returns relative to 
you know, funds that were started in kind of early years, like prior vintages when they were created when the market valuations were much higher. Uh, and this can, you know, difference again could be like the public markets, you know, where you're adding three, four, five, six percentage points to, you know, the, the, the IRR of these private equity funds started in low valuation vintage years versus high valuations kind of vintage start years. So kind of across the board, the valuation story is more attractive and valuation is one of the best predictors of returns over the next you know, decade. So that is the silver lining of the sell-off this year. So for investors who have been waiting for an opportunity to buy, if you're taking a longer-term perspective as opposed to trying to be tactical in the market, suddenly this has become much more interesting than we've been in a, in a, in a number of years. So, Jason, taking a moment to recognize the recent market momentum, the market seems to have seems to be on risk-on mode for the past few weeks now. And just looking at some numbers, the S&P 500 up 4% last week and 8% for the month of July. So, Jason, what are the factors driving this recent market rally? And is it just a bear market rally or is this a sustainable market term? Well, on the first, on the latter question regarding the bear market rally, we'd say, yes, it's the case. It's, it's a bear market rally. It doesn't mean necessarily we will kind of hit new lows on the S&P, but we saw in the, you know, the spring a similar situation where the S&P got up to around 4,200, then ended up selling off to around over like, around 3,600. So some of what we've seen is, you know, I think is a bear market rally fueled largely because the, the view in the marketplace is that, you know, the Fed has gotten a little bit more dovish. Uh, you know, we've seen growth concerns you know, materialize, as we alluded to earlier, while inflation fears have kind of come down. And the market's been basically been trading off an environment, I'd say, for the past few weeks, maybe past month, of a bad news as good news, meaning bad economic data would suggest that that has to kind of slow down the pace of rate hikes uh, and may even have to stop or, or pivot earlier than what was presumed. And it's certainly if we just compare today with the market is pricing versus mid-June, it's, it's pretty dramatic difference in terms of you know, expectations over the next 12 to 18 months. As rates have fallen, all else equal, that's a boon to lifting, you know, risk asset valuations. And if we look at, you know, across the market performance, you mentioned the S&P 500 being up, you know, over 8% uh, for the month of July. But then if you look at growth stocks, they're up nearly 11%, you know, more so than, than value, which is up 5%. Growth stocks are sensitive to rates, so lower rates all else equal tend to be a benefit for, for certainly some of these secular growth stories, which have these kind of long cash flows well into the future. So the, the, Decline in rates has certainly helped, and the decline in rates has predicated on kind of growth concerns. So it's this environment of you know, bad news is good news. Uh, riskier stuff kind of across the board has done well. So in addition to, I mean, you mentioned growth stocks, but in the high-yield space and other credit areas, they've rallied a lot. So high-yield was up 5% for the month of July as spreads you know, declined from around 650 basis points down to less than 500. So that that's quite a move. If you think about, though, what's sort of driving it, Yes, the you know valuations have come down. Oh, sorry, the rates have come down. That's lifted valuations, but that's kind of predicated on the view that the you know, ultimate investors and the markets believe we're going to go into recession. Um, so their sentiment, I think, is still poor in terms of the recession outlook. That hasn't improved. We've seen investors really kind of lighten up their positioning, get a little bit more defensive in, in anticipation of this you know recession risk. You know, and things reached an extreme. So there's a little bit of kind of short covering going on, position was over, or things were oversold, there's some sort of bounce back that we're seeing there. But it seems like a low conviction, you know, uh, you know, kind of bear market rally. You know, it's more of investors kind of covering short positions that have been profitable, they're taking that off, as opposed to adding new long positions and things that they like, which would be more an indication that they're really kind of comfortable with the, the macro environment improving. So thus far, I think it's investors maybe chasing some opportunity, traders definitely kind of tracing that opportunity, 
systematic strategies that are based more on quantitative signals, on volatility, are now starting to kind of drive some of the momentum, as opposed to a belief that you know, things are really materially improved. So given all that, I'd sum up what uh, we've seen over the past month more as a bear market rally than a real clear sign that we've hit a bottom and things are, are going to kind of continue to rise from here. Thank you, Jason, for the clarity around that. So tying this all into asset allocation as we begin to close out our time together today, uh, given the chief investment office's macro market expectations, how conditions might evolve from here, what are you currently recommending, Jason, in the way of asset allocation? How should investors be positioned at this time? So, you know, my answer to the previous question regarding whether this is a kind of a bear market rally or not, our view that it is, um, you know, so things can definitely kind of pull back. This is not necessarily kind of all clear for the for a new bull market to begin, which means that kind of the broad advice we give to clients is that this is not a market in which you want to make a strong directional call, either for a bull market to ensue or for the bear market, a deep bear market to materialize because we're going to get a recession. You know, the things could kind of go either way. The one thing that is likely is we'll get continued sort of volatility and choppiness. Uh, and if we're at sort of a higher end of a range that we've been trading at for the past couple of months, that's likely to sort of imply that we could sort of, you know, kind of go down in the, in the, near, in the near term. Uh, so instead of taking a big directional call, it's better to kind of build a robust portfolio that has some aspects that can benefit across different scenarios. So since we still think a soft landing is a decent probability, probably more than maybe the market anticipates at this point in time, we still like value stocks which tend to do well when, you know, growth, nominal GDP growth is about 3%, which we think is a fairly safe bet over the next 6 to 12 months, given the inflation level and avoiding a, uh, a recession. We still like commodities uh, as a hedge for geopolitical reasons, as a hedge against inflation, both of which kind of look a little bit lower right now. But the micro fundamentals are also suggesting that supply is very constrained. And if global demand holds up, commodity prices will likely go higher from here. And we've seen a bounce back in the past few weeks from the lows that we had in early July. That's a little more kind of risk on position sort of balanced by within equity, the sector allocation is a little bit more defensive, you know, where we underweight to, you know, you know, discretionary, we have overweights to, you know, you know, to, to healthcare, which tends to be a little bit more defensive. The idea is that, you know, it's kind of up in quality within the equity allocation, but also don't want to be taking a lot of cyclical risk at this point in time, given the uncertainty of how the cycle is going to play out. Turning to fixed income, the general message is to kind of go up in quality. We think that the 10-year yield is going to be range-bound between roughly 2.75% and three and a quarter. Uh, we're at the low end of that range. If inflation persists and the market realizes the Fed has to go a little bit more than it's assuming right now, the rates are going to drift a little bit higher. Um, so I think, you know, what But what the past couple of months have demonstrated is that having some longer duration in your portfolio is a bit of a hedge still you know, kind of makes sense. Um, at the same time, you know, credit spreads have tightened quite a bit over the past you know month or so. Uh, they could tighten even more over the course of the next month, given low liquidity in the markets. There is some fund flows going into some of the riskier parts of credit as people may chase some of the yield. But ultimately, if we get a kind of a continued growth slowdown, which is likely, you're going to see kind of credit spreads widen out uh, from current levels. So be cautious in the fixing home space and chasing yields right now, especially after the recent move just in the past three or four weeks. Better to go up in quality. You know, investment grade, agency MBS, even shorter duration of one to three year IG avoid some of the rate risk if rates do kind of rise back again. Uh, so those are, you know, kind of those broader themes. One change we made in our asset class preference this month that I'll flag is gold. We had a neutral view on it. Now we moved that to least preferred. Uh, our price target for gold for the second half of this year is 1600, which is below the 17, roughly 50 that we've been at recently. In an environment where you know central banks continue to hike, when you're in that stage of the economic cycle, gold tends not to do very well because 
as rates rise, especially as real rates rise, the opportunity cost of holding gold goes up, therefore tends to suffer. In the past few weeks, we've also seen as rates have come down, real rates, real interest rates have, have declined. They're likely to kind of drift back higher, uh, you know, moving forward. That tends to be a headwind for gold. So, so be cautious on gold, especially when the concern about inflation is mitigated. It's more concerned about, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of growth at this point in time. So those are some of the application kind of recommendations we're giving them with the, the current macro outlook that we have. Jason, as always, thank you for level setting us as far as CIO's market macro expectations in the months to come and for the current guidance here on asset allocation. A lot to track, a lot to follow up on. So looking forward to continuing with our conversation, Jason. Thank you, Dan, and have a good week. Today, we've been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the UBS House View Monthly monthly letter and the investment strategy guide for the month of August. Jason has been referencing during our conversation this morning. Clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor to learn more about the topics covered on today's conversation and to receive a copy of the publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.